Now look at the other person and tell them the same thing. If you have no clue what I'm talking about, it's because you didn't read ahead. Hey, grab your Bible, Revelation chapter 3. As we finish off the seven letters, we'll be in chapter 4 next week. But let's stand in reverence to God's Word because He says, I have exalted my Word above my name. And we are going to see His Word here this morning. And to the angel of the church of the Laodiceans write, it's different from all the other six. These things says the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of the creation of God, three names Jesus takes for himself. I know your works. Where's the good? I know your works, that you're neither cold nor hot. I could wish that you were cold or hot. So then, because you are lukewarm and neither cold nor hot, I will vomit you, I will violently expel you from my presence. How did they get there? Verse 17. Because you say, I am rich, have become wealthy, and have need of nothing, man's lukewarm estimation, and yet Jesus says, and do you not know that you are wretched, miserable, poor, blind, and naked with a very long dash? And Father, as we ponder, as we consider your word this morning, Lord, we've got to have ears to hear, Lord, what your spirit wants to speak to us. And I, I, I just, I pray for that for each person here. None would be distracted. None would be sleepy. Because Lord, I know you don't want any to be vomited out of your mouth and I don't want to see any but from here. So Lord, keep us awake. Keep us alert. Keep us in tune to what you want to speak to us here. And Lord, just bless our time in your word in Jesus' name. Amen. You can be seated. And as you're seated, tell the person in front of you to put on their seatbelt. <laughs> hey, it's one of the toughest passages in the Bible. No, it is the toughest passage right here for believers. Most Bible teachers agree that the Philadelphia church of keeping God's word, of preaching the gospel to the lost, of being faithful with the little strength from last week, and this church here before us this morning describe the two main spiritual elements that will be present in the last days. Now, there will be many that are lukewarm, and there are many that will be holding on to God's word. No doubt these from Philadelphia from last week, they were zealous and they were on fire. They were looking for the return of Jesus and their lives reflected that. But these here, I can guarantee you, they were not looking. Verse 14, the seventh church, the final letter that wraps up the complete church. And to the angel of the church, and this spells, you get this, you got the whole book right here. And to the angel of the church of the Laodiceans write. If you go back and look at the other six, none of them are worded this way. So this is, Jesus is writing to the angel of the church of the people who are ruling over their lives. 
See why they're lukewarm? They're ruling over their lives. They're the shot callers. They're the ones that are saying, I'm going to do this and I'm going to do that. And you're going to hear this word many times from me. And when it's convenient, then I will do your thing, Jesus. Hey, team, you and I do not serve a God that says and, and takes, when it's convenient, you can come to me. That's what's going to make me lukewarm. So Jesus is writing to these who are ruling over their lives. The word Laodicean literally means the rights of the people. So he writes to those. So Jesus in these last days, we're all living in, is writing to a church full of people in Laodicea that are living their life based upon their rights and their feelings and not God's. Well, welcome to today. See, not only is the church of Laodicea, as Jesus is writing to, but if you fast forward to verse 22, well, you recognize he's writing to us as well. Because we all have what? Two ears, and the Holy Ghost is still much alive. So Jesus is writing to the church in the woodlands. So tell the neighbor behind you, listen up. Hey, listen, the masses of people in the last days are realizing their power as never before. Power to the people! But that's coming from the church. The voices of the people has become the voice of God, it seems like, in the last days. God's word is shut down. The power in the voice of people has risen up. It's a dangerous place to live. Laodicea was located on one of the east-west trade routes. There was a vast, they had a vast commercial banking system, so they were very wealthy. They were also very proud of their black, shiny wool that they produced, obviously, from sheep. They had a poor water supply. They got icy cold water from this city. They got this hot water from this city, and it all came to Laodicea via aqueduct. And as it arrived in their city, it all arrived, say it. It all arrived lukewarm. So Jesus is interacting with what's going on here. And lastly, they boasted about their school of ophthalmology because they said, hey, we can cure all these eye problems. At least they made the, play, the claims. But what's sad is they are blind to their own needs. They are unwilling to face the truth. How is that possible? Pride. Pride always does that. If we want God's best for our lives and, and what's best for his church, then we must be honest with Jesus and allow Jesus to be honest with us. Because if we're not, we're going to walk out of here thinking we're on fire and we're not. Because pride is so deceptive. Jesus' bride cannot ever live in a closed system where it becomes self-sufficient upon itself. We call that cancer today. We've got to live open, and that has to be open to the Spirit of God, open to what God wants to do in our lives, open to His Word, and not when it's just convenient. Plus, Jesus is on record multiple times saying, without me, bride, without me, you can do nothing. 20 times, different ways, different words. Without me, you can do nothing. So Jesus is preparing to tell them their spiritual condition, but sadly, I report, they didn't believe Him. They don't act upon his letter. May that not be true of us this morning. We've got to act here. Because if it's God's word and God's word is true, then we can't throw it away and go, oh, I'm saved by grace anyway. That's what these lukewarm ones thought. 
We can't deal with that. We can't, can't be that way. These things says, and we know the names that Jesus uses for himself, indicates what's going on in the life of the church. And there's three of them. And so Jesus says here, these things says the amen. <laughs> you know, we say amen. That doesn't mean we're done praying. We're saying, yes, God, make it happen. You know, we're asking God. And then we say, in Jesus' name, amen. God, we're believing you for it. Well, Jesus takes that name to himself. The title of amen that Jesus takes for himself, it's only used right here in the Bible. And he says to this church that I am the confirmation of all that is said or done. I am the amen. I am, it is going to happen. So when you look down there and you see the whole vomit thing, Jesus is saying, I am the amen. It is going to happen. Now, I like this next title that Jesus takes for himself here. He says, I am the faithful and true witness. We see Jesus, the great physician, coming to his patient, the Laodicean church, and he's going to give them a very faithful and true, reliable diagnostic, diagnosis for their survival. The church needs that. We know he speaks the truth because he is the truth. We know he is the amen. And then thirdly, I like this one as well. The beginning of the creation of God. This little phrase here, please don't let the cults take it and twist it. The Greek does not signify that Jesus is a created being, but it, that he is the original cause of creation. He's the originator of all things. He's the chief over all of God's creation. Simply put, he's the Elohim in Genesis chapter 1, verse 1. The Bible teaches very clearly that Jesus has always been God, pre-existed with God Almighty before his birth in Bethlehem. Don't let the cults deceive you. Anyone telling you otherwise, you need to get away from them. And then you need to go read 2 John, and John will tell you why you need to get away. And the Mormons and the J-dubs, they don't believe this. They believe Jesus was created. But listen, you decide from two passages, Colossians chapter 1, 16, John 1, 3. For by him, speaking to Jesus, for by him all things were created that are in heaven and that are on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or principalities or powers. All things were created through him and for him, and he is before all things, and in him all things consist. All things were made through him. The cults say, well, no, God made Jesus, then he made everything. Listen to this. All things were made through him. Is that what that says? Does that say God made Jesus and Jesus made everything else? No. All things were made through him, and without him, nothing was made that was made. Jesus is the creative power behind all that we read in Genesis chapter 1 and 2. So that's who this is that's writing to them. And then the first two words of verse 15, I know. You want, I, I don't know like that. Jesus is essentially telling them he is completely knowledgeable, knowledgeable <coughs> about their present condition. And look what it says. I know your works. Okay. What's different here from the other six? I know your works. What's missing? Please notice Jesus knows their works, but he doesn't say they have anything good going on. He doesn't say, hey, good job here. Hey, you got a little faith. Hey, you're active, your works, are... nothing. He doesn't say anything good to them. 
This is his church. You read the other six letters, the other six churches, he always said something good. I mean, this is pretty sad, is it not? The church of the last days has nothing going on for them that is honoring the Lord Jesus Christ. Good thing there's a Philadelphian church that's still keeping to the word a little bit, has a little power. Now, I'd hope that this church had lots of activity, but none of it honored or caught the eye or the attention of God. So he says to them, I know your works, that you are neither cold nor hot. Why, why would he tell them he wishes they were cold? Well, if you were cold, all you got to do is come live with me when I was a kid. You go outside and, and you, you, your mom's saying, hey, put all that stuff on you. I ain't got time for all that. And you go outside and then you get distracted. All of a sudden you realize you're freezing. And you reckon, oh, I got to go inside. I got to get a coat. I got to do something about it. Or if you were hot, you'd be boiling. You'd be changing the world around you just like we read in the book of Acts because the book of Acts is not done. It's still going forward until Jesus returns. You'd be hot. How Jesus lived his life in the Gospels, that is hot. How Jesus is to his bride, that's hot. And that would be this way, this way in my marriage. Man, I'm going to be hot on fire in my marriage. My marriage is going to be sizzling. People be jealous of it. Remember the two boys on the road to Emmaus? Jesus is resurrected. They don't believe that or know that. They're walking out of town to, town, town to Emmaus. They're kicking the dirt. You know, man, Jesus died. We lost. And Jesus comes up to them and that whole exchange. Once Jesus reveals himself to them, here's what, he, here's what they say. They said, did not our heart burn within us while he talked with us on the road and while he opened the scriptures to us? And those two boys were on fire from that day till they saw Jesus return, I'll bet you. So Jesus says to them, and to us today who have ears to hear, and to anyone online listening right now, I could wish that you were cold or hot. Those are our two options today. Isn't there a medium high? Isn't there a medium better than others? Nope. So then, seeing that you are none of these options, Church of the Laodiceans and Church of the Woodlands in the last days with ears to hear. So then, because you are lukewarm. And lukewarm is the worst condition of all. Half-hearted, don't care attitude, straddling the fence spiritually. Never really responds to the holy, voice of the Holy Ghost. Doesn't take Jesus' word or what the Bible says seriously. I only kind of do it when it's convenient. Fellowship, well, that's only when it's convenient as well. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 24, that doesn't apply to them. At least that's what their mantra is. Even though God says, let us consider one another in order to stir up love and good works, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together, as is the manner of some, but exhorting one another daily and so much the more as you see the day of the Lord approaching. You see, the lukewarm, they don't see the day of the Lord approaching. So minimum attendance, prayer meetings, nah, I don't need to go there. The lukewarm doesn't let the entire Bible serve as a guide for one's life. He or she has, well, no care for lost souls. So you have no witness to others. If you disagree with any of that, I stole it from Skip Isaac. You can go take it up with him. 
<laughs> I was going to quote a dead person, then you can go take it up with him. But at least you got someone you can go that's alive, you can go have issues with. But seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you, Matthew 6, 33. The lukewarm, they only do that, well, well, they very rarely ever do that. Why do I need to do that when I can just fix it myself? That's what lukewarm looks like today. Sad. Listen now, church. Someone who is lukewarm is worse off than a drug dealer, hooker, pusher, cartel member, killer. How's that possible? We look down on those people, the lukewarm say. No, you're worse off than those because they are so lost. They have a better chance of realizing they're lost than a lukewarm does. So then, because you are lukewarm and neither cold nor hot, Jesus says, I will vomit you out of my mouth. They're, those types are of no use to Jesus. Uh, utter rejection by the Lord, team. And for what? For failing to allow the word of God to form all biblical thought in their life. They are insensitive to their spiritual need. Failing to yield to the voice of the Holy Ghost. Their pride and self-confidence is overwhelming in the statements that they make about themselves. They kept going back and looking at how they were doing and how they were living. And they never once checked in with the Holy Ghost or checked in with the words of Jesus. Simply put, the lukewarm has a severe case of the me, myself, and I disease. They're prideful to the max but they don't know it. They boast of their accomplishments. In the name of Jesus, of course, but in their hearts they're going, yeah, boy, I'm glad you recognize me. Oh, the Laodicean church had great self-esteem because they were always focusing on themselves and building themselves up. There's no dependence upon the Lord for the lukewarm. Proverbs chapter 3, 5, and 6. No, that, that would never fit into their, heart, into their minds. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. No, the lukewarm will lean on their understanding quite often. And yet God's word says don't. In all your ways acknowledge him. The lukewarm say, no, I got some of the. Uh, that's only when I do that on Sunday. I got this. In all your ways acknowledge him and he'll direct your paths. Do not be wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord. That's what's missing to the lukewarm and depart from evil. See, the lukewarm only live that way when it's convenient for them to do so because life's really all about them because they're good. They're well off. They're rich and in need of nothing. Now, just so we're clear, rich isn't you know, the top 10%, the top 1%, rich is everyone that lives in America and a lot of other places around the world. Yet Jesus says to all, love God with all you got and love your neighbor. How? The same way you already selfishly love yourself. And who's my neighbor? Anybody, including my enemy. We see here that the lukewarm are overconfident in their wealth. It's the new God of the new age. That's who they serve. There's no dependence upon the Lord for these lukewarm ones. They state they are in need of nothing. How is that even possible? I know how it's possible. I move away from the cross. I could say that. Ah, I'm good. How you doing? I'm good. Get close to the cross. I am wretched, miserable, poor, blind, and naked. 
No dependence upon the Lord. They got it all taken care of. They had totally lost sight of walking by faith. Without, without faith, it's impossible to please the Lord. Oh, they got faith as long as the bank account doesn't drop below this level. They got faith as long as all this is always going right. Material prosperity was their blessing, but Jesus is here telling them it appears as a curse if Jesus gets left out of the equation. Nothing wrong with having lots of money, but it better not move me into a place of being lukewarm. Well, how did they get to this place of lukewarmness, Pastor? Well, first of all, pride is, is my first guess. How come you cannot be doing spiritual things like I am? can't believe they just did that. And inside, they look down on people. That's pride. Jesus died for sinners in the church today. The lukewarm church today looks down on sinners who are lost. Church, newsflash, don't ever expect the lost person to get it right. That's ridiculous. Don't ever judge the lost. It's ridiculous. Don't speak bad about politicians. First of all, the Bible says don't speak evil of rulers. They're lost. Pray for them. But see, the lukewarm looks down upon. They, they take matters into their own hands, even though God is very clear in his word on how we're supposed to live. How come you fail? Look at me. I'm always successful. How come you're always worrying? Man, I'm not. Look at what I am doing. That's the problem. Single letter, I. It's all false humility. It's pride. This is the church age we're living in today. Yet we read in Zechariah chapter 4, verse, verse 6, Not by might, nor by power, but by thy spirit, says the Lord God of hosts. That's what's happening all around us. See, we can't go, well, we're better than that lukewarm one and go, well, I'm good. Oh, no. Man, you better be coming to the cross. Verse 17 is the fruit of lukewarm living. Because you say. Okay, this, this was their mantra. This is what they declared. They'd get together and go, how are you? Oh, I'm rich, well off, and needed nothing. How are you doing? Yeah, so am I. Woo, high five. I mean, I can't even imagine. But I can. Because you say I am rich, have become wealthy and have need of nothing, long dash. I don't know why that long dash is here. It seems like Jesus is taking a breath here before he gives them his assessment of what's going on. Or maybe he's saddened. Maybe he's angered. He was that way towards the Pharisees. The Bible says be angry but do not sin in both the Old and the New Testament. So maybe he's anger. Anger helps identify the sin. You just don't act in the anger. But there's a pause here. Their trust in materialism has brought them to a lukewarm state. Jesus said in Matthew 6, 24, no one can serve two masters for either he'll hate the one and love the other or else he'll be loyal to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. But many in the last day's church will be thinking they can. But that attitude will affect their lives. And slowly over time will cause them to become lukewarm. Ironside, Bible writer, pastor, 100 years ago said this. We've come to a time when in many places it is easier to get on without Christ than with him. 
Man, he nailed it. That was 100 years ago. The church was almost dead back then, and it was all the way up through here. And then there was the Jesus movement. It came back to life, and now it's going right back into this giant sleeping giant. Because you say, I'm rich, I've become wealthy, you're trusting the bank account and not Jesus and have need of nothing? Do you ever think that, friend? Not, probably not in those words, but I don't need to go to service again. I'm in need of nothing. I don't need to read my Bible today. I'm in need of nothing. I'm good. What am I going to go buy today? Gets greater preference than my prayer time with Jesus. Because you say, I am rich, have become wealthy, and have need of nothing. And do you, this is Jesus' estimation of them. And do you not know that you are wretched, miserable, poor, blind, and naked? Another long dash. They were the emperor walking around in his new clothes. Dude, you're naked. You know the story? How's that possible? They think they're fully clothed, but Jesus says, you're naked. They think they're rich, but Jesus says, no, no, you are poor. They say they are in need of nothing, but Jesus says, you are wretched and miserable. They think they can see clearly, but Jesus says, no, you are blind. How is that possible to be so far apart? I believe it goes back to verse 14. The very name of the word Laodiceans, not the church in Laodicea or the church of Laodicea, but it goes back to this name that's different from the other six, the name of Laodiceans, They're the church age where they rule over their own lives. That's how they get there. See, if I rule over my own life, I'll tell you what, before I got saved, I was good. I was in good shape, had everything going. Yeah, except if I would have died, I would have went to hell. But that's how, they, that's how we get there. We're shock callers for our life. Jesus, we don't need you anymore. And when I get away from the cross, like I said, I really do look good. I really do look in need of nothing. I really can be rich and have extra. No more money for you, Jesus. That's all for me. And there are so many in the church today. And I have, and I, I will continue to feel misery. Look, I'm not saying I'm perfect here. We all know that. But there are many in the church today that assume leadership over their lives. They're submitted, all right, but they're submitted to themselves, but only to God when it's convenient for them. They give when it's convenient. They serve when it's convenient. They are involved when it's convenient. So how did they get there? Well, it looks like one dollar at a time. How did they get there? Looks like one decision they made by themselves at a time. How did they get there? Oh, that's easy. One program of man at a time. Let me just say this. The church is full of nonsense programs of man today. It is. Keep in mind as we move forward, these in Laodicea have their own opinion of themselves, and Jesus has a totally opposite one of them, and so he is going to counsel them. And we all know why Jesus is going to counsel them, right? Don't, don't give me an answer. I want, you, I want you to think about the answer in your own mind. Why is Jesus going to counsel them? There's only one answer. Well, the same, thing, same reason he does everything in the world is because he loves us. 
And in verse 18, Jesus instructs these Laodiceans to do three things, just like a good doctor who knows what's wrong. And he's going to give them the cure by continuing to speak truth to them. The only variable in this equation right here is will the patient obey and do what Jesus, the doctor, tells them? Will you? You know, it intrigues me. It baffles me. And honestly, it bothers me at times that the church will listen to secular doctors for cures of a body that's destined to die. But when it comes to the doctor of all doctors that promises, I will never die, well, you know, I see what it says. Well, let me go get a second opinion. Yeah, let me go get a third opinion. Yeah, I think, I think I'll just listen to my opinion. Somebody say lukewarm. That's, how, that's what it is. Number one from the good doctor, they must recognize their spiritual need. It's critical. Jesus knows they are needy. He has what they need. One spiritual need from Jesus is more than something you do when you come to our gatherings, team. Oh, yeah, I know how many needs, so I come on Sunday morning. No, it's, it's way greater than that. Our gatherings together as we teach through the Bible are times of equipping or times when you bring people you've preached the gospel to during the week because that's what an on-fire person would do and you bring them because you know I'm going to de declare the gospel somewhere in the message so that they might be saved. That's why. That's why our gatherings. But, but that's, that's such a small part. It's when we step away. You've got to recognize your spiritual need always and go to Jesus for everything, for every day. It's critical. Number two, they must realize why Jesus rebukes them. And number three, they must respond with repentance. So let me ask us, do we truly have a grasp of our own spiritual need or of our own spiritual condition this morning? See, we can look in the mirror. I can look in the mirror and go, yeah, I'm really good. I'm doing good. What about when I look up? The first thing to do for any who are lukewarm is to kill our pride and acknowledge our great need for Jesus and tune in. So he says to them, I counsel you to buy from me. I would underline that. Only Jesus has the supplies for any who are lukewarm to get back where they need to be. So he counsels them to come to him and not some program of man. Oh, it's Bible-based. Listen, if it's Bible-based, you better be running for the hills. Because all the programs of man say that today. So if it's Bible-based, that's the foundation. So what's on the top? Psychobabble, stuff of man, stuff to get you trapped, stuff to make you lukewarm and dependent upon yourself, stuff that I can guarantee you goes contradictory to the Word of God. And here's what's sad. I saw someone posting on Facebook last night. 20 years ago in the church, no one would have done that if Facebook was around. They wouldn't have. They wouldn't do it. But now we're bragging about it and boasting about it. Hey, this thing, this program really, really set me free. So I went and looked it up. And the first thing it says is, this is a Bible-based program, and then it dives into the whole world of psychology. Welcome to the church today. It takes you into a place where it's all about you and your needs. But the last I read, it's all about Jesus and what he wants for my life. 
You and I have to recognize and agree we have a need. And then we come and buy from Jesus gold as refined in the fire because they were poor. They thought they were rich. Jesus said, no, you're poor. You need to come and buy gold from me. This is divine righteousness from Jesus. This is where the walk with God started. And if I'm lukewarm, this is where the walk with God is going to restart. I got to come as Tim as a poor man and receive gold from him that you may be rich. So where do you get the money for the purchase? He's come to Jesus. He's already paid it all forward. But you've got to humble yourself and come. And white garments because they are naked. It's practical righteousness here. That they may be clothed, that the shame of their nakedness may not be revealed. That tells me that lukewarm, their nakedness is being revealed some way. I don't even know what that looks like. I don't even understand what that means. But again, Jesus says, he has the goods. I've got the payment for you. The heart to do it all, it says, here, it's right here. It's right here. And lastly, he says, anoint your eyes with eye staff. Why? Because they're blind. Always anointed is that anointing of the Holy Ghost that you may see. And Jesus is doing this for any who are lukewarm. Ironside, who had such a heartbeat on our country 100 years ago, says this, even though he writes no one was listening. He writes, friends, it's getting late in this age. The window shades are fast falling, and the Lord, who is the beginning of his church, was inside but now stands outside that lukewarm system which calls itself by his name, yet he knocks from the outside seeking entrance. hundred years ago. Another Bible commentator puts it this way. When a preacher of today attacks false profession and rebukes a group of easy believism, he may actually be doing them a great favor and may be speaking out of love for them. It's God's love that seeks to correct false views in the last days and challenge people to true faith and repentance. Trust me, if I didn't love you, we would have skipped this passage. Because chances are you may not come back. But my love for Jesus and my love for you won't allow me to escape it. Just like you as a parent. It's like you put the medicine up high because you loved your kids. Don't touch the stove. Why? Because you loved your kids. I mean, this is the hardest passage in the Bible right here. It's right here. Do we daily lay hold of Luke 9.23? and practically and spiritually put it into place every day? Do we? Do we know? Do, do we own it? Do we know it? I mean, not perfect. None of us are going to be perfect in that. But our hearts lead us there every day. Luke 9.23. Is that, is that a part of us? Thank God the Philadelphia church age is still here. It has a little strength. It has a door open to heaven that those who respond to the gospel as we declare it may enter in. But Laodicea is becoming more and more evident as we... Uh, run towards the end times scenario. But you know what? That doesn't surprise us because Jesus already told us what it's going to be like. Listen for the days as Jesus tells us what the last days will be like. But as the days of Noah were, so also will be the coming of the Son of Man. For as in the days before the flood, they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage until the day that Noah entered the ark and did not know until the flood came and took them all away so also will the coming of the Son of Man be. 
Likewise, as it was also in the days of Lot, they ate, they drank, they bought, they sold, they planted, they built. They're just going on, running their own business, doing their own thing. But on the day that Lot went out of Sodom, it rained fire and brimstone from heaven and destroyed them all. Even so, will it be in the day when the Son of Man is revealed? I mean, it's all they. They're doing whatever they wanted to do. They're ruling over their lives. They're just going about business. Please see why Jesus is telling the lukewarm believer all this. Verse 19, as many as I love. Everything Jesus does is out of love for you and me. And he's going to shower his love upon these because he takes no delight in the death of the wicked. You lose sight of that? Your life is like a washing machine. Well, I don't know if Jesus loves me right here. Whoa, yeah, I know he loves Whoa, and, and you're just bounced all over the place. As many as I love. In context, you who are lukewarm, I rebuke and chasten. Listen to Hebrews 12, 5 about this chastening team. And you have forgotten, and you can go back and read all these in context, and you have forgotten the exhortation which speaks to you as to sons. My son, do not despise the chastening of the Lord, nor be discouraged when you are rebuked by him. For whom the Lord loves, he chastens, and he scourges every son whom he receives. You know, no, so, so all of a sudden it's like, okay, boy, this is me. Hey, listen, don't give up and walk away when God chastens you. Stay in the game. Respond to his voice. Follow his lead. Humble yourself. If you're lukewarm and the Holy Ghost is not seeking to get your attention, like you know you're lukewarm, and there's nothing going on in you right now, man, you better run to the cross, friend, because you don't have anything. It's critical. The reason I know this is true is because God's word proclaims he scourges every son whom he receives. And if you're lukewarm and, and there's no, nothing going on in your life right now, you're not his son. Now, if you're on fire, great, stay there. If you're cold, we'll address that. But if you're lukewarm, whatever you do, don't get bummed out about it. Get excited about it. Rejoice that Jesus is scourging you. It just proves that you are a legitimate son or daughter. Therefore, always determine conclusion. When you see the word therefore, you stop and ask yourself, what's it? Therefore. And it's always a term of looking back. Therefore, because I love you, therefore, I will rebuke and chasten you. Therefore, you lukewarm Christian, be zealous and repent. Zealous means on fire. To be hot and useful to the master. Being zealous, it's not something I do here and there. Being zealous is a continual action team. Being zealous is a radical solution to a radical problem in a believer's life that is lukewarm. Being zealous is a continuation of the book of Acts. Those men and women, they are on fire. And team, that is what Jesus is calling his bride to be. Well, how's that possible, Pastor? Oh, don't you, you, we can't ask that question. We have the power. We have the love. We have the truth. We, we have the word. We have the open doors. We have the Holy Ghost in us. We have the Holy Ghost as, as often as we ask, falling upon us. There's only one variable in this equation of being zealous and on fire. Does he have all of me? Does he have all of you? If not, if he doesn't have all of you, you're lukewarm and you need to allow him to rebuke and chasten you here. It's critical. Our self, our time, our selfish attitudes, our lack of belief that Jesus is coming back, our lack of doing, all of that stuff blended together, that's all going to hinder anyone from being on fire. 
So he says, be zealous. You know, when you think about that word zeal, what, what comes to your mind? One word for me, Jesus. He's at the start of his three years earthly ministry. He comes to Jerusalem, and in John chapter 2, verse 14, we read this. Jesus found in the temple those who sold oxen and sheep and doves and the money changers doing business. Watch for it. This is what zeal looks like. When he had made a whip of cords, he drove them all out of the temple with the sheep and the oxen and poured out the changers' money and overturned the tables. And he said to those who sold doves, take those things away. He wasn't being mean. He was chastening. If he was being mean, he would have opened up the, the cages and let the doves fly away. They never, never would have got them back. So I, I picture these people running out there going, hey, get my donkey. And, you know, so they got it all back eventually. He's not being mean. He's chasing them. And this is what he says. Take those things away. Do not make my father's house a house of merchandise. Then his disciples remembered that it was written, zeal for your house has eaten you up. That's what zeal looks like. And team, if zeal for Jesus does not consume you and eat you up every day, you're being consumed by a world and a lukewarm church that wants to use you and destroy you that you might be vomited out of the mouth of Jesus is worthless. We've got to recognize that. These in Laodicea miss Jesus trying to get their attention. This tells me today that people could actually miss this. Of course, it has to be taught. I'd imagine in a lot of places this passage is not taught. But for us today, Laodicea, they missed it. It's possible we can miss it. And I pray to God that does not happen here. So get out of the lukewarm rut. Become zealous for our Lord Jesus. Allow him to consume your thoughts wherever you go. And his zeal will flow through your life. And every day you might be able to see good works which God has already prepared in advance for you to walk in. See, Jesus loving the lukewarm is good. Jesus rebuking the lukewarm is good. But don't miss this last key word in verse 19. As many as I love, we know Jesus loved them because he told them the truth. As many as I love, I rebuke and chasten. That's the explanation. Therefore, be zealous and repent. That's the exhortation. That's the doing something here. Repentance requires radical change and not gradual development. And then you stay that course. And the reason this is so important is, is, is that it, it requires radical change is so we just don't do it for two weeks and then go right back to the old way of living. We can't do that because Jesus' word doesn't allow that. His word isn't going to change. Jesus is still coming back and he is calling all lukewarm to live this way. Make the radical change, friend. You've got to. Repentance it's not an out-of-date word. It's a necessary word in the life of the church today. And the only way any lukewarm person will be able to get back to that place of being on fire is to repent. And we all know, you know, you're going this way. Repent means go the other way. Yeah, that's a kindergarten level. Repentance is a complete surrender of yourself to someone else or something else. So if I'm going to truly repent, then I'm going to completely surrender all of me at the foot of the cross to my Jesus and say, Lord, I'm no longer calling any shots in my life. That's what you did in the beginning. Oh, it's the master. Oh, I don't have to figure anything out. Yes. True repentance is you don't call shots. Jesus does. You're only going to serve one master now, not two. 
Remember when Saul, Saul's on the road to Damascus to imprison Christians? He was zealous and going for it. He was wrong, but he was zealous. Remember how that exchange went down, be him, went down between him and Jesus? Acts chapter 9, verse 6. Let me read it to you. As he journeyed, he came near Damascus, and suddenly a light shone around him from heaven. Then he fell to the ground and heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said, who are you, Lord? Then the Lord said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. He was persecuting the church, the people, but Jesus didn't see it that way. I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. It is hard for you, Saul, to kick against the goads. So Saul, trembling and astonished, said, you know what, it's, what he said? Lord, what do you want me to do? That's what repentant action looks like. Saul was going zealous this way. Whoa, Jesus, what do you want me to do? And we read about him in the book of Acts from chapter 13 all the way to the end of the book. See, he's no longer the shot caller for his life. Jesus became the shock caller. Lord, what do you want me to do here? Lord, what do you want me to do here? Lord, what do you want me to do here? Lord, what do you want me to do here? Lord, what do you want me to do here? He wants us to ask him. And then you wait for an answer. You don't pray about it and then just jump and do what you want to do. That's what the church is. Well, I prayed about it. What did Jesus say? Prayed about it. I haven't, can anyone show me that in the Bible where I pray about it and then I get to do what I want to do? Man, okay, I'm going to go be a bank robber. I prayed about it. <laughs> Come visit me in jail. But I prayed about it. It's crazy. You don't always have to pray about it, though. If it matches God's word, you don't have to pray about that. Hey, you want to go preach the gospel with me, brother? Well, let me pray about that. Hey, you coming to men's fellowship and prayer on Saturday morning? Oh, man, I, I need to really seriously pray about that. Really? That attitude is not in gathering all the more as we see the day of the Lord approaching. Uh, that, it ain't that. That's lukewarm. True repentance is a total submission to Jesus Christ. 100%, not 90%. Verse 20. Verse 19 Repent, the exhortation, verse 20, it's the invitation. Behold, stand in awe and amazement as Jesus knocks, seeking to get back to where he needs to be on the throne of their lives. That's, what, that's his whole heart here. He wants to get back on the throne of their lives. He's doing everything he can but violating their free will to get back on the throne of their lives. But it's sad because he's knocking on the hearts of the lukewarm. He shouldn't have never been there in the first place. But he is because he loves us, so that's cool. And he says, I stand at the door and knock. If, if is all grace. All getting something you don't deserve. Getting something from Jesus at his expense. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door. This morning, if you're lukewarm, you have to hear. You gotta repent from your way of living and your way of doing things, and you've got to move towards the door, and you've got to turn the knob so that it'll open. And when you do, Jesus promises to any who will receive his word this morning, he says, I will come into him and dine with him 
and he with me. Man, I love that picture. Can you imagine having Jesus come in and having, having a nice dinner with you? That would be epic. Jesus promises here to any of those who will open the door that he'll come in and have this intimate communion and fellowship with any who are lukewarm today. But you got to make a move and open the door. You've got to humble yourself of your pride thinking you know best by leaving Jesus out of the decisions. I mean, if you're making decisions multiple times a day without looking up, show me that in the Bible. It's not what Saul said. Saul said, Lord, what do you want me to do? And none of us are immune here. Jesus wants to be, must be, Lord of all. And if you will turn back to him today as you respond to his voice and bow your knee and utter humility before Jesus, he, he's going to do the rest. But you've got to come on his terms, not yours. To him or her who overcomes. That's the heart of Jesus right here, that we would overcome. That's why it's here. That's why I teach it. Any that are lukewarm, I want to see them overcome. I don't want to see them get vomited. See, if in my mind as a pastor, if it's like, well, if I teach that, they're going to leave, so okay, whatever. I'm going to receive a stricter judgment. I can't imagine that Jesus is going to say, hey, you know what? You, you had a lot of lukewarm people, and you never told them that. I don't want to be in that line. Not going to be in that line. Tim and her overcomes, I'll grant to sit with me on my throne as I also overcame and sat down with my father on his throne. Do you see the promise there? Jesus says, if you overcome, you're going to get this. Why? Because I've already done that. It's, Jesus is guaranteeing this action based upon something he's already accomplished. And how did he do that? Well, he is totally submissive to his father. Totally submissive. He never served anything other than his father. Remember the garden prayer? Not my will, but thy will be done. That was not just an hour or two long prayer. Jesus lived his life that way. Every moment Jesus dwelt on this earth, he was submitted to the Father. Multiple times it's recorded, and I'll read one out of John 5.30, where he says, I of myself can do nothing. Jesus said that. God Almighty in the flesh says, I of myself can do nothing. What I hear, you know, what my Father says, that's what I hear what I see him doing, that's what I do. So why can the lukewarm say, oh, I got this? Can't. You cannot say Jesus is your master and then be your own servant. No, you can't. Well, yeah, he's my master, but I'm not going to be a servant. You can't do that. Newsflash all around the world, church. If you take that approach, yeah, he's my master, but then I'm not going to be a servant. You're never going to overcome that way. Yet Jesus right here is promising any who are lukewarm that hear his voice and desire to leave that way of living, who truly recognizes the depths of his or her need, who turns away from self, who buys the full supply of what Jesus sells without money, because he already paid it for you, Jesus promises here that he can deliver any out of their lukewarm state if they will do his word here, team. And he'll take you one step right into the very throne. Not at his, where he sits with the Father, but where he sit in the new kingdom. I mean, that's all amazing love here. To all overcomers, 
There's coming a day when we will be ruling with our Jesus and sitting by him on his throne, even as he has already passed tense, sat at the right hand of the Father on his throne there. Verse 22, as we grind this to an end. Seventh time, last time comes the call, this powerful call, so reoccurring, almost as, as a musical rhythm right here. He says, he who has an ear, touch him. We got to let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches today. So what have you heard today? That's between you and God. What have you heard in the last seven weeks as, as, as we really cover the complete church? Peter writes, for the time has come for judgment to begin at the house of God. And if it begins with us first, it's really bad out there. May the Lord help us to hear what the Holy Ghost is saying today. May the Lord help us to hear what the Holy Ghost is saying to us right here today that make up his church. We all got to have ears to hear, team. Three choices, not a fourth one. There is not a medium hot. You're either on fire for Jesus, changing the world his way and not your way. You're lukewarm in need of major correction, but now you know because you heard. Or you're cold. And the Spirit of God is showing you today that you need to turn to Jesus this morning. Because, see, the next great event as we move into chapter 4 is the rapture of the church when Jesus gathers together all those who are his. And that could happen before we even get there next week. So where are you? How do you read this morning if you take the temperature of yourself, of your spiritual life? And see, I can't just take my temperature of my spiritual life if it's not practically living out of my life. So, well, I'm hot, Pastor. Okay, so let's look at your life. So that means your marriage is on fire, your witness is on fire, all of these things are on fire. Well, no, I'm three out of the seven. No, that makes you lukewarm. We have to examine our lives and be honest. See, if we're honest with Jesus, he'll be honest with us. So where are you? Cold? Lukewarm? Are hot. See, if I look in the mirror, I go, oh yeah, I'm doing good. When I look up, because mm, Jesus is honest with us. I pray to God we can all hear what the Spirit of God is speaking to the church and keep on hearing until we see Jesus face to face, to which we say, Mara, Natha, come Lord Jesus, come. Amen? Father, we are so grateful, Lord, that you have kept